This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, uh, Alan Shearer. Um, Micah Richards is currently somewhere in Mexico around Guadalajara, so we've given him uh, the day off. On this episode, um, I'm being joined or we're being joined um, by the co-owner and chairman of Crystal Palace, uh, Steve Parrish. Steve, thank you very much uh, for doing this uh, first and foremost and just tell us how you got involved in football in the first place? Were you were you a fan? Did you play when you were young? We all played, not not to your standard, obviously, but we were all obsessed, weren't we? Back in the day, where three channels were on television and and there were no Space Invaders, and so we played, loved the game, always supported Palace since I was four years old, and then you know fell out of touch a little bit with 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 things. Always checked the results, but while I was setting up my business and running my business over the world. I didn't um, go as often as I would like. Um, and then I sponsored the back of the shirt uh, for some reason and started going again. Um, what, what, what was the sponsorship? What was it? Tag. So tag. It's, tag, yeah, it's my advertising yeah, business. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> they, they, the championship allowed a back of the shirt sponsor. They asked me to do it because I was going. I said, yeah, sure. And then that sort of created a connection with the club. So when the club went into administration, I got contacted and and they said, would you be interested in 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 buying the club from the administrator? At the time, I said no. Um, I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. But I won't let it go under. You know, if it, if it, if you can't find anybody, give me a shout. And it was the financial crisis; they couldn't find anyone. So there's a documentary on Amazon, Gary. If you're bored one yeah. night, all Is about that, it. Yeah. What's it called? It's called When Eagles Dare. Ah, good name. Yeah. yeah well, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll check that out. And obviously, so you you basically just bailed them out at that point. I was involved in something similar at Leicester, but it, I didn't have your wealth, obviously. But um, we, we about forty of us clubbed together when they were when they were struggling. <laughs> <laughs> and um, managed managed to salvage something, but we you know we didn't have the, the funds between us to to do much other than keep it afloat and then sell it on. So football clubs are very important to local communities, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I suppose at that point, 
I thought I'd have it for a few months, probably like, you know, your plan. You know, I thought I'd, I'd buy it. Was, I got some people involved that I kind of knew, but I knew they were fans and they were very quick to say, yes, I'll do it. And I said to them, look, we'll look after it. The world will get back on its feet. We'll find somebody to buy it. And then you kind of get sucked in, I guess. I mean, my life has, has, has been about passions. I mean, I love this thing that Jeff Bezos says that you've got missionaries and mercenaries, really. You know, and, and I've always got involved in things that I love doing. You know, I love my advertising business and I love Palace. So obviously you get sucked in, you know, and you realize that everything you thought you knew and all the rationality that you thought you could bring to it, most of it you can't. Um, <laughs> and because I had other people's money, you know, I'd taken other people's money and I, you know, I had an obligation and a duty to kind of take care of them. Obviously you get a bit of exposure, you know, you've got the fans to worry about and, and the community. So, you know, after not too long, I told my advertising business and, and mm. I was I was 100% doing that. Steve, how, how difficult is it for for a club like Palace and, and you guys to try and compete because the, I don't know, the elite are getting bigger, aren't they? Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, and that's not crying into our beer, but it, it's hard. We do have an advantage in that the Premier League is so relatively wealthy to other leagues so even i think man city announced their turnover yesterday what was it 724 million yeah. houses 170 very similar to a lot of the clubs around us you know the villas and people like that will be a little bit more 200 plus you know plus because they've got bigger ground but we're all much of a muchness um if you don't play regularly in europe it's very hard to increase those um those revenues but they can only have 25 players and, you know, we've got access to talent, you know, in Europe and around the world now, which means that, you know, you've got a chance of, of competing. And of course, the beauty of the Premier League is, you know, people know pretty much who's going to compete for the league title most years, apart from when Gary's club mm -hmm. did that amazing, yeah. had that amazing season. But, you know, what, what, what they don't know is who's going to beat who on a, on a, on a Saturday. You know, we've, yeah. we've been up to Manchester United and beat them this year. You've seen, you know, obviously various different sort of surprise results. Luton drew against uh, Liverpool. So as long as people can tune in and they don't know the result of any individual game, I think it, it, it retains its magic. I think that that's what we've got to be careful of, really, that the disparity doesn't get too big. But of course, sometimes it feels like you're swimming uphill with the, with the money that other clubs can spend, certainly. How different is it running a football club to running a business i mean football is a business but are there <laughs> fundamental differences well there's not there aren't on everything but the actual football so you know the restaurant side of the business and the merchandising side of the business and all those things and the event side you know they're very similar to any other parallel business that's a difference in that there are a lot of different businesses within within the business but the football side is definitely like nothing else because you know i think the premier league clubs lost 700 million last year combined. So, you know, and championship clubs lost money. So you're going into a, to a business where an industry where losing money is is endemic and there is no profit principle that guides you. You know, in a normal business, you could say to people, we won't do that because if we do that, we'll lose money. We don't, we, we don't lose money. That's what we're in business for. Whereas in football, it's more, you know, how much you prepare to lose, really. Um, hopefully we can get to grips with that. I mean, there's a lot of people, including the government, that, that, that want to try and get to grips with that uh, because it, it probably isn't a long-term healthy position for football to be in. But that's the biggest difference. And you find yourself doing things, paying agents amounts of money that you never would imagine that you would, you know, you, we all come in thinking we can change everything, I think. I don't think there's anybody who comes in who doesn't think, 
um, that they can't make huge differences. And you can change some things. I think everybody brings something new, you know, and, I, and I'm always open to ideas. You know, Chelsea guys came in, they've tried some different things mm. with contracts and, you know, um, stuff like that. So everybody does bring something a little bit different to it. But the basic premise of it is there's no profit principle and it's all about trying to win. Um, and it's a zero-sum game as well. So for you to do well, somebody else has to do badly, which isn't the case in business equally. You know, you could be in an industry and everybody can do pretty well. And it's public. So your failings are all public, aren't they? You know, and, and it's very difficult sometimes to manage yourself emotionally and manage through that and do the long-term things that you need to be done at the club when everybody's so results-focused. Then obviously you've got the trapdoor of relegation, which is a huge loss of value, uh, costs you lots of money. The fans will desolate, you'll be desolate, you know. So it's it's totally different to running any other business, really. You're, you you mentioned about clubs running at a loss. What's, what's your thought on an independent regulator then? Will will he or she solve that? Well, that's the intention, isn't it? That's that's the, the one aim, really, now of the regulator. I mean, I fear... I do fear the regulators, for most people, will end up being a bit like VAR, you know, the the... The gap between expectation and reality will be yeah. will be huge. You know, I don't. I think people, including me, I'm sure, look through their own lens, their own club's view, and and tend to think that these things will will will, will fix all the problems of their club or or what they worry about with football. And of course, everybody worries about different things, and everybody's got a different um, issue. So, but certainly sustainability. If we can work with the regulator and and come up with a package that doesn't change the competitive balance. And that's the big problem. So if you just make clubs sustainable and you take all the risk out of it and you don't allow people to invest unless they've got, you know, absolute 100% security that they can manage any downside, then of course that only really plays into the richest clubs. Um, and, and Is it's that your fear? Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, for something that began because of the Super League, you know, it, it, it has the, the the danger of being that something that is probably incredibly easily manageable for the biggest and richest clubs and very difficult to manage for aspirational clubs. So that that's a worry. Yeah. Uh, there's also, I suppose, with, with football, you've already got, what, the Premier League, Football Association, the Football League, and this is this will be a, another governing body almost yes. in, in many ways. I mean, at the, at the moment, the, the first three don't necessarily always get on. Um, is that a problem that we have in this country, that there's so many different factions? I suppose so. I mean, but there's there will always be different points of view, won't there? I mean, the Premier League separated from the, from the EFL, so clearly there's a delineation mm. there. The FA have got their own problems, we know, over the years. And, you know, they're good people at the top of it, you know, Mark and, and, and Debbie are good people and they're trying to affect change. And I think they've, you know... It's been hugely positive um, with the England team and, you know, the things that they've done there. But that's quite a big machine to try and turn around. And it's, I don't profess to totally understand it, but I know it's vested in county football and all of these kind of things. So, yes, look, in theory, somebody coming in that has an overview on the whole game, I can understand that the theory of it. Um, but they've got a big job and they're going to need to get up to speed very quickly. Who should it be? Should it be um, someone that was a, a player or a, a, a business person, an administrator? What, no, what? I think it will be deeply financial. You know, I think mm. if you want to ensure the sustainability of clubs, then, you know, it really would be a very, very financial role. Really should be somebody that is, you know, wants to do the job uh, rather than wants to wear the job. You know, I don't yeah. think we need somebody that's a, that's a, a, a personality as such. 
you know, um, and I don't think they should be easily lobbied. You know, I think they need to be very clear about what their mandate is and very fair. Um, I mean, the first iteration we saw we worried about because it had individual licenses for every clubs and you could have individual measures for every clubs, mm. which is incredibly worrying that, you know, they deem different circumstances, put you into different measures. You can see the kind of outcry from fans. So look, I think getting it right will be extremely difficult, it, but it's coming. We need to work with it and we, and we need to try and make the best of it. How would it work though? Because it, I, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but at the minute to get a vote through in the Premier League, it's 14 people have to vote for it mm. to get it through. Is that is that correct? I mean, would that be then taken away for the power from the clubs to make those decisions? I mean, it, it's such a scope of, 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 a, of a massive business. How would it work? Well, they'll pass legislation that will enable them to do certain things that they want to do. They won't. They won't need a vote on on some things. The the remit at the moment from the papers that we've read is very broad, right? So it will kind of come down to discussions with the Premier League, with the EFL, to decide what those measures should be. I guess we're in uncharted waters. You know, we just have to hope mm. that, that 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 we land on on the right answers. And the the one positive thing that we've got is that football is under such scrutiny from everybody, certainly in this country, in a, in a positive way, that I'm hopeful that that will guide it as well. You know, I think you guys have much more influence and and and, and, and power than you realise, as do the fans, you know, because it's, a, it's such a public business. It's very difficult to put in measures that people don't agree with long-term, that they don't think are, are really fair. Um, but, it, you know, it's another thing that will take up column inches, I'm sure. It's another thing where people will cry foul that they're not being treated fairly. It's, it, it'll be another thing, as I said, like VAR that will cause some controversy, I imagine. Mm. You seem to, I don't know, but a, a, a while ago I heard you and you seem to be very anti it. You don't seem to be quite as anti the independent regulator now. Have you, have you turned a little bit? No, I would. I would generally. I would say that governments getting involved in mm. these kind of things is 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 rarely positive. Um, I I don't think that we really need it. I think that the the most important thing is that the Premier League carries on being successful because the Premier League, and and, and when I talk about the Premier League, I, I don't talk about us. You know, we're a we're a temporary member, if you like. You know, I hope that we become a more <laughs> more permanent member. Well, you, but, well, you've been fairly permanent. Yeah, we're doing okay, but you know, only eight teams that have um, been promoted have stayed up ten consecutive seasons, which is great. But only four have made it to eleven, so you uh, know it's it's uh, it, it's attritional, <laughs> you know, and and um, you only need a bad run, bad injuries, and a bit of bad luck. So, look, we're, we're we're cognizant of the fact that the pyramid has to be a strong uh, pyramid, and that maybe the gap between the non-parachute clubs and the parachute clubs has got has got too big. Although I think there's a lot of false facts that go around that. I mean, the average finishing position of a of a, of a first year parachute club is eighth, and and the average finishing position of a second year parachute club is thirteenth. Yes, some do bounce back, but for everyone that bounces back, there's one that really really struggles, you know, and, and, and takes takes many years. So look, if somebody asked me, do we need it or not? I would say no in a perfect world. But the fact is we, we, we're getting one. So you have to accept it and you have to work with it and you have to try and make the best of it and hope that we can turn it into something that's overall good for football, right? I mean, there's no, yeah. it's coming. Um, what, what do you think would, would, would be good for football? How would you make a difference looking at the overall situation, the finances and, and the in incredible amounts of money that are being paid nowadays? For, for players, would you, in like salary cap or something like that, do you think that's actually manageable? Look, I think at some point there has to be a decision made is, is it a sport or is it a piece of media entertainment that, that we're creating? 
Um, I think the bigger issues for, for football lie in Europe really more than here. You know, I do think that we've got such a vibrant, strong game and we don't realise in some ways how much other leagues in Europe and around the world are struggling, you know, in terms of, I mean, media rights. You know, we've gone out to a lot of international markets. We're going out to the, to the UK. You know, there'll be an uplift for, for the Premier League in media rights. But other leagues, you know, are really struggling to get those numbers. What we're seeing is a lot of the media money coalesce into big, you know, NFL, NBA, Premier League, a little bit Champions League. Although, you know, I do think that this new Swiss format is a struggle for them. I don't think that that, from what I see, they were promising 40 to 60% uplifts and now it's 25% uplifts. So, you know, I think that, you know, we just have to be mindful that, that, that most of the threats to our strong domestic game really come from outside of, of this country. And that's the, you know, the constant expansion of European football, the constant expansion of international football, the constant expansion of, of now a Club World Cup, the erosion of the calendar. You know, we have, we have a regulator in Europe and, and, and in FIFA that can set the calendar. They, and there's not a lot we can do about it other, rather than protest. We've cut back every other competition as much as we can. Um, but in, in my view, their long-term aim is for smaller domestic leagues. That's that's really what what they want, hmm. um, and and that that you would be very against that, obviously. Of course, yeah. I mean I don't think it's just me being myopic, you know, from a point of view of, of of our club. I mean it may well be that we've built our new stand, we've we've got increased revenue, that an eighteen team Premier League with only two relegation spots does appeal to us as it changes. I, I do try and take a broader, bigger view, right? Even if it's better for us, is it the right thing for football? And I think. You know, we, we have a lot of domestic football and we all know what it means to us when there isn't football on at the weekend. It's kind of a bit of a flat week when we've got internationals, but it's, you know, we miss it a lot. It's embedded so deeply into our culture. You know, we're so good at going and watching sport. I mean, I watch football all around Europe. You know, nobody's got full stadiums every week, you know, like we have. Nobody's got the away fans going to so many games. You know, we've got such a vibrant, brilliant game that's at the heart of, of, of communities and, and I think we don't want that eroded, right? But we have to accept that people have got big problems in Europe in some leagues. And there's also a lot of pressure on UEFA for some reason to make money all the time, you know. So they're constantly trying to dream up new ways of bigger tournaments that make money. So that's, I'm far more worried about that, frankly, than I am about a, a, a regulator here who I'm hopeful we can work with and get something sensible. What about the Super League? Well, the, the Super League, <laughs> look, it's, it's, if you look at the ECA, um, which is this the, the body that for some reason has been picked to negotiate everything on behalf of the clubs. You know, it's really an oligopoly of, of, of the big clubs. The people on the board of, of the ECA have been in Champions League 81% of the time in the last 10 years or something. Um, and, you know, this Swiss format is, is another kind of gerrymandering of trying to make sure the right teams qualify um, for the later stages. Yeah. So again, it, it, that may be what people want. It's happening by stealth. I think on the actual Super League itself, the outliers, uh, Madrid, who are still pursuing the case, I've, I don't know what that ruling will be at the ECJ, but I fear it probably won't be as slam dunk as, as UEFA want. I think that there will be my guess is there will be question marks over governance of a body that governs the game and runs tournaments and that in principle clubs running their own tournaments probably it won't the door won't be slammed on it that's 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 my guess and frankly you know i would probably prefer a situation 
where where the tournament was run by the clubs and the UEFA then taxed the game and, and regulated the game and did what I believe they should do, which is to try and spread the game across as many markets and as many countries and grow it as much as as much as possible. So we'll see that, that the ECJ ruling will be a big, big moment um, for football. And Super League, I don't think it's gone away. Look, they made one big mistake, didn't they, which was not allowing clubs to be promoted into it. Frankly, mm. had they just decided to break away and set up their own competition from UEFA and allowed the same form of access mm. to the tournament, I don't think people would have been protesting outside football grounds. I think they would have got what they what they wanted. Um, so, so we'll see. Often those issues are so remote. You know, we worry very much about um, domestic what, what, issues. What was it like dealing with that situation when the news suddenly broke? Were you unaware that that it was a, they were about to announce this Super League? I mean, it seemed to take everyone aback. You as, as a kind of co-owner of, of, of a club that was outside of that, that bunch, it must have been like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually ecstatic. Why? Because I thought, oh, thank God they've finally done it. You know, now we could, because we lived under this shadow of it all the time. This was the constant threat. It was, as I've explained it was like being in a sort of abusive relationship, you know, where, mm. you, oh, you must agree to all this because if you don't agree to this, they're all going to go and set up their own league. Mm. And I was walking through, I'd been on a run, Phone rang, and um, it was it was the chairman of the the Premier League at the time, and I stopped, and and he told me what was going on. I remember then Gary Neville did a big sort of rant, brilliant rant about you know why it shouldn't be, and he said during the rant they'll all be backtracking now. You know they'll realise because of the public outcry, and 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 they'll be saying no, no, it's not happening. And I was like, oh please don't, <laughs> you know, don't encourage them to do that. We, we we need them to do it, right? We need to find out if this thing is going to happen because we can't live the rest of our lives, you know, in this kind of threat of it all the time. So um, I was pleased, and then pleased by the reaction, obviously. Yeah. Why were you pleased though? Did you think because if they all bugger off you can be nearer the top of no, the no. league <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we'll win no, I just didn't think it, I didn't think it would happen you know no. I didn't think it would happen I, I, I. I, I, no. I just thought it was a it struck me as incredible that people thought it would that was the bit that I found absolutely the same I, I could only see it crashing and, and burning in, in, in hours or days and which is what actually transpired yeah uh, let's take a little break Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with uh, Alan Shearer, me, Gary Lineker, and um, delighted to say joining us today, uh, Steve Parrish. Um, Steve, let's, let's shift things a little bit perhaps towards um, Crystal Palace. Um, you, you've been there a long time. You've stayed in the top flight uh, for a long time now. Um, how hard is it being the chairman of, of a football club at the moment in this country? Um Look, it's a privilege to do the job, right? You, 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 and I'm not just saying that. You, you do. You realise how many people would would, would want to do that job, particularly for the club they supported since they were a kid. So, you know. But obviously, uh, once you're in it, as it's challenges, you know, as it's as it's challenges personally, you know, mentally, um, and it has its challenges in terms of, as, as Alan said, trying to compete with people that have a lot more money. We've got a strategy for the club, Josh, David, John, and I, which is really based on long-term expansion of the infrastructure, improving the, the non-media income, which is really what you're, you're competing against. Is that against. The, the new stand? So the, the new stand, we've built the new academy, um, which is fantastic. We need to bring more uh, talent through because obviously it's, it's lower cost than, than, than going and buying talent. We're one of only 10 teams that have been in the top two divisions for the last 45 years or so. And that's very much down to our catchment area for talent. And of course, that is also embedded in the community. It does so many things for the community. You get very caught up in that when you're when you're in a football club. And I would say it's not unique to us. All football clubs, you know, your own club does amazing things, Leicester and Everton and every club uh, in the Premier League and outside it do incredible things, you know, daily for their for their community. So you get you get caught up in that. Um, but the politics of it all does get you down. You know? must, yeah, because fans, the expectancy is, is, is always going to be big, I imagine. And, you know, fans will, the first person they'll have a go at generally is either the, either the coach or the, the owners <laughs> to spend more money, I presume. It must be quite difficult well, dealing yeah, with that. Look, I've sometimes. said this before. If you, you're, in, you're in a job where if you walked into a restaurant and you asked, you know, everybody in the restaurant, if they could do your job, they'd probably say no. But if, if could you run a football? Yeah, definitely. You know, most people think <laughs> they know all the things to do to run a football club. Maybe some of them do. But, um, mm. and, and obviously the winning and losing, the binary nature of it, you know, how you feel, you you know, you guys both played at a high level. You know the feeling. I mean, I go in the manager's room afterwards and it's kind of a shared experience whether you won or whether you've lost. You know how people feel, how it's going to affect their weekend. You know, you try and develop strategies to to, to cope with it. Um, but but it is very tough and particularly if you're near the bottom, you know, and that loss has put you nearer to, to, to relegation or more in danger. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging. There's no doubt about it. I think the only way I've found around it is to have a long-term plan, you know, for the club, to have your eyes on a long-term prize. What makes this club permanently better? What, what enables us to compete more on, a, on, on an ongoing basis, on a regular basis? How do we try and break that glass ceiling and get into Europe? How do we do those things? And how do we do it without betting the farm and, and, and creating risk and trying to stay in the division and, and improve all the time? And I would say we're very lucky with the fan base. We've got two administrations in the club. Um, obviously, we've got fans that were 
10 when we were promoted and a 20 now and 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 you know why don't we push for europe and we should be spending more money on players of course you've got that but the vast majority of the fan base i think are very on board with with the plan they're enjoying their football we sold out season tickets a month and a half quicker than we've ever sold them out we sell everything in the ground you know we we need a bigger ground we we, we need to have more non-media income and 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 that's what keeps me sane every day that there's an actual purpose rather than just another season and we try and stay in the league you know that can the you enjoy is, it um when you're winning <laughs> it, it, it's amazing when what, what a week is like when yeah. you win alan isn't it you know compared yeah. to what a week is like when you lose but you've got to try and you know the thing i say in the in, in the meetings with the, with the staff when, when we're in a bad run or we're losing is that the only thing you can do to help the players is to be the same you know, it, you know, it's a process, right? If you're on the floor when you lose and ecstatic when you win, you know, it's it. You can't really uh, be successful. So, uh, but I do enjoy. It. I'm very, very lucky to do it. And and but I'm, as I said, very focused on what we're trying to do. And as long as we're moving towards that aim, I'm I'm happy. And and as I've said before, you know, if the next guy wins the trophies, I mean, we're eight minutes away from winning the FA Cup. That that got some getting over. But if if I pass something on that is in a real fit state to win trophies and to succeed on an ongoing basis, I'll be very happy. Yeah. What's the most important aspect of, of a football club? It, it always seems to be, everyone says, the coach or the manager. I think your culture at the training ground is is the most important thing. So one of the things, interestingly, when we built the academy, which is amazing, should we put the first team in there as well, Was 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 a thought. And, you, you know, you, different clubs do different things. We're, we're just across the road. In the end, we decided probably because of space, you know, not because of some big, amazing bit of intuition to keep them separate. And I think now that's such a good decision because, you know, everything at the football club in the end lives and dies by how well the first team first is doing. Team right? I mean, you, you know, everything else is great and you need to get it right. For example, the academy, we used to be in port cabins, waterlogged pitches. They focused on coaching. Now we've got, you know, more teams, more facilities, the restaurant, the women's team. There's all these logistics going on. There's more people around. You know, if the first team were in there, they would have got embroiled in, in, in all of that kind of mechanic. Whereas they're on their own. They've got their three pitches. They've got their own dressing rooms. When the kids go over, it's a big thing to go over there. You know, they feel like they've, they've, they've gone somewhere. They've stepped up. And, and you can maintain a culture. So through my time at the football club, this bit is no different to any other business. You get good people with a good attitude that care about, you know, the place that they work, the club. Um, and you've got a good chance, you know, of being okay. I think that's probably the most important thing for me about the club. Right. We've got rid of the niceties. What about VAR? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're probably all on the same page, aren't we? I, I We've all said our bits and, and, and I've tweeted about decisions and things like that probably when I shouldn't have done. I think now we're at a stage where there's so much pressure on the officials mm. and and in the VAR booth, the time that it's taking is is now you can see everybody's paralyzed, you know, with with trying making sure they get the right decision. Uh, I think Howard's a really good bloke. You know, I think he's he's doing absolutely everything he can to 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 get it better and get it right. But it's a bit of a cleft stick. You know, we're in this world where everybody now expects perfection. A referee made a bad decision. It was a bad decision. You know, you, you just sort of rolled with it. Now, uh, the sense of injustice that people feel, you know, with what they see and on the slow motion and how they feel about things is, is really putting an unbelievable pressure on it. And, 
you know, look, the things I do think, you know, we listen to the, to the the comms on these things. Mm. You know, I think there's there's a lot we need to improve. You know, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of shouting and and yeah. uh, you know, it, chaos. It, it's chaos sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think. Um, I was surprised, you know, when I first heard it. But then, of course, rugby is very considered and, you know, but it takes an awful long time. You know, I watched the Rugby World Cup final and the ref was, re it was really about the ref. And then what I'm really worried about is we're going to get into these deeply nuanced, um, what is a foul? You know, I mean, <laughs> exactly. in, in rugby, they've got all these incredible definitions, his head moved down and then up and sideways <laughs> and it takes 10 yeah. minutes to decide if it's a red card. So... We've got ourselves in a muddle in in the world. Don't think this is any different anywhere else. By well, the way, they all, they all hate it. Yeah. Generally, fans don't don't like it. Is it possible to can it? Well, we all like it when we get you know when it saves us a goal, don't we? I mean, that's you know the fact that we all <laughs> say most people don't remember those. They just remember the ones that cost them a goal. Well, I, I, as I said to you. The thing that always missed, and I wrote about this, it always mystified me when people were talking about bringing it in, is why they all thought that it would uniquely benefit their club. And then <laughs> that, that was the thing that I always found amazing. Um, look, I, I, I think that we need a cold towel moment on it. We really do. And, um, you know, we need improvements. The, the, the biggest issue I have is clear and obvious error. I mean, yeah. how can we get to a at the end of a game where we all decide that wasn't yeah. a penalty. Everybody agrees it wasn't a penalty. But when yeah. I see the sheet come through where they mark their homework, it's right because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. I mean, it, but I also understand that you can't exactly say ever whether that was a... What, I mean, what a clear and obvious error to one person will not be a clear and obvious error to another person. Do you see, I don't where do you, saw, do you draw that line? Well, you saw the Ebbs penalty, right? I mean, it wasn't yellow card. Hmm. If the ref gives it as a penalty, it's probably not going to be overturned. Yeah. And he doesn't give it as a penalty, they're not going to give one. Mm. So there you're like, well, it's not really helping, is it? <laughs> no. What would you do with it? Um, well, look, I think... Or would you, would you like to get rid of it and start again or not? Or just go back to what how it was, referees making the occasional howler? Probably. Yeah. I might keep it for goal line, offsides. Mm. I know... Your, your view on offsides is they're not exact enough, which I agree, but, agree. but at least it's been accepted, hasn't it? And it, and it should be it. quite quick and clear generally. Yeah, yeah. they'll get to this 3D yeah. view of it and it'll be quite quick. Um, if it's the wrong person you sent off, of course, that's a fair one. You have to keep it for that. <laughs> that's very rare. Though, very rare. Um, yeah. But I think these, you know, these reviews that go on forever and ever and ever and, you yeah. know, the Arsenal-Newcastle one was the, you know, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think they've probably got the right answer, but I can understand the other side of the argument. Yeah. You know, the ball's out and, you know, I can see the injustice of it all. Yeah. If, it, if it hadn't have happened, we'd have just given the goal, wouldn't we? You know, and... It, yeah, and it, then they'd have gone, oh, well, it looked like it might have been out, but anyway, <laughs> get on with on, it. Yeah, yeah we yeah. move on quicker. It just gives you... Do you I, think... I'll ask you a question. Do you yeah. think that they will get... You know, is there any kind of momentum to get rid of it? I don't, no. uh, I don't see them ever getting rid of it. I think they've invested too much in it now. I think it's here to stay. I think we have to accept it. Um, We're stuck. But it, it can't... It can't go on in its current format. I totally agree with you. I, I like Howard. I think he's trying to make change. But I think the problems have been that deep-rooted, it's going to take such a long time. And I also think it's a different skill set. I've said it before on here, Gary, haven't I, that operating a VAR machine or doing all that in, I think it's a completely different skill set to being a referee on a pitch uh, and, and making your own decisions and being in charge of all of that. And I think VAR has actually made our referees worse because of the pressure they're under. And they've, 
I don't know, it's a bit of a comfort to think, oh, shit, I'm not quite certain on that. I might not make that decision just in case it's, then I'll, I'll be helped out. And I think it's made them worse for it. Also, I don't, and again, genuinely, Howard is really doing his best. Yeah, of course. Um, there's a couple of things. I, I don't like to see referees, you know, get punished, you know, for one bad decision, no. you know. And then we lose some of our best referees for, for, for the weekend. Yeah, a striker can miss a chance and yeah, might, you know, might I mean, Anthony but... Taylor's, a, you know, he's been refing our game since Preston Palace in the championship, you know, and, and he's a good referee. You know, he's a really good referee and, and, and he does his, I believe he does his it's best. It's a difficult job. Yeah, he's had some bad decisions, I think, from Anthony, <laughs> you know, but I don't think, he, he, you know, he's, it's a very difficult job. And I also think that well, the big one of the big problems with VAR is it takes out context, doesn't it? So, you know, you guys have played when you're on the pitch, you know it's a foul from the reaction, from the sound. You know, there's, you've got a lot of other inputs than you, you just have in that in that video. And the final thing I'd like to see, again, going back to the way they all talk to each other. I was listening to the Arsenal-Newcastle. Why is there one person looking at the incident who then tells another person to tell the referee what he's, he's thinking about? It just... It's odd, isn't it? Really, why can't the person who's looking at the incident yeah. just talk to the referee? Mm. seems... A weird system. Yeah. And, and and why why can't we at least hear that conversation while the game's going on? Particularly, I think, for people in the stadium. I've been in lots of games. You're in the dark. Yeah. You know? All you see is check in for a foul or and you just go and then you sit there for a minute or two or sometimes yeah. even three or four and you think we need to know what's going on. It's not fair on the paying public, I don't know. And that. I think we've gone past I mean this concept that we don't want to show incidents on on the big screen. We've gone past that. I mean, yeah. I, I've got a screen, as you know. Hmm. It, it's it's weird now because you see the the VAR. They don't draw the lines anymore, so you don't really. You're kind of just trying to guess. And then the only way you know on our goal that the, it's not offside is because they then play it on. When you see them playing it on, yeah. they're obviously looking yeah, for something else. You know, else. Exactly, you know they're looking yeah. for something else. So, <laughs> they're doing everything uh, they possibly can yeah. to find a way of disallowing the goal. The goal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Yeah, uh, but I think that's what Alice says. They're yeah. so petrified now. Of getting it wrong, and and I think that you know part of that is the is the punishments that they're that they're being meted down. <laughs> That's all we talk about nowadays, VAR. But I want to shift the subject to. Well, that can I just ask you that? No, though? of course. Is has it in a weird way increased the interest in in, in the game? Well, it's know? it's a good point, and and some people say it takes away from the atmosphere. But I suppose you know because you can't celebrate a goal properly. Well, people do celebrate the goal. And then if the goal's given, you get a double <laughs> celebration. Yeah. I suppose you can, you know, you can argue. Well, what you do is you get up and you go, ah, yeah. Oh, I think it might be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I must, I, I, I must say, when, when Leicester won the FA Cup, when they beat Chelsea, like, 1-0, yeah. and Chelsea equalised, didn't they, in, the like, the last minute, um, Chilwell's goal, and... And I remember because we kind of Leicester made all the subs, they're bringing all the centre halves on, Wes Morgan's yeah. on there, and everyone. And it, you, it was the end of the game. And when they scored, it was like I've just I've got all my words ready. I was emotional. I was yeah. ready. And then it was like, oh my god, no, they've scored. <laughs> and then I remember I, I was stood next to me, and we looked round, and you look at the screen thinking, please be something. Yeah. And there it was, and we've gone. My God, I think he's just offside. <laughs> it's like, it yeah. one of the best moments ever. So maybe, I don't know. It's, you, you, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Yeah, as I've said, it does sometimes yeah. help smaller clubs, right? I mean, we're not going to get 
marginal offside decisions normally away at some of these grounds, but but we do now. So that and, and people talk about. I mean, the the Tottenham game was a case in point, wasn't it? The one where they went down to nine men. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody came away thinking it was a brilliant game. It was unbelievable. It was far all over the place, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so VR's great. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll move on. <laughs> this is interesting. This season, we're in the middle of November, and not one single Premier League manager has been fired. It, I mean. That is very unusual, Steve, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody's doing okay, aren't they? You know, I don't see a team that that are easy to beat or rolling over. I know Sheffield had the one bad result, but that can happen. We've had those results. Um, and, and he strikes me as a really good manager. And I'm sure, mm. you know, they look around and think, you know, what would we what would we get that's that, that's going to improve things? Um, How many managers do you think and coaches are really fully equipped to do the job? Because it's very different job to playing football, isn't it? Yeah. Um, not as many as you would think. Mm. And particularly in our league, because the one thing you, the scrutiny all the things that we're talking about, you know, the, the microscope that you're put under as a, as, as a manager, it, you can see it when, when, when managers move from the championship to the Premier League. You, know, you could be a very, very successful manager in the championship, great tactically, good with the lads, good culture, or all the right ingredients. And you say things after a game in the championship and they're not picked apart. You know, it's only really your fans that are listening. Suddenly you come into the Premier League You've got a, you know a much better quality journalist. You know you've got <laughs> you, you you know much more reach to all the stories. Goes outside of just your fan base, and and that can be very difficult. And it, it sort of pickles people's brains, you know, and 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 sec, you know they start second guessing everything. So um, there's there's not as many as you'd think. Is it is it the worst part of a job of being a co-owner, chairman of a football club, is dismissing a manager? Awful, How yeah. I must I just need to know what that's like. Awful, yeah. Because when you start to see the signs, you know that that, that 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 things are going wrong. You start to get that feeling in the in the pit of your stomach, and you know you've got a relationship with with with, with the manager. You know they're all by and large good blokes. You know and yeah. trying to do the right thing. You know they're not trying to lose football matches. They're trying to do everything in their power to. And in, in fact, sometimes, you know, the harder they work, the more wrong it goes. You know, sometimes the, the really good managers know what is enough is, you know, and that um, just keep getting the lads back out there and trying different things is, is not helpful. So it's, it's awful. I, 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 it's the worst part of the job, the bit leading up to it. Um, I'm lucky that I've maintained a good relationship with a lot of the managers that, that have been. They know it's part of the game, you know, most of them. Mm. Is, is that why you perhaps return to Roy Hodgson? Because a lot of people were quite surprised by that because you know what you're getting. Totally, yeah. Yeah, you know what you're getting. And, and generally, you know, without trying to get into the whole football detail of it, but you have to defend properly in the Premier League, right? If, if you're conceding goals, I mean, I, I look at the, at the bottom and I don't look at the points difference. I look at the goal difference. That's what I look at every year. You know, if you're, if you're minus in the 10s, 15s, 20 goals, it's hard to turn that, you know, it's difficult to turn that round. Um, most people have got good attacking talent in the in the Premier League. Most people can score a goal. Um, I'd say all teams have got good attacking talent, but your ability to keep the ball out of your own net <laughs> is 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 what will create long-term longevity in, in, in the Premier League. And, and in fact, even success, even the most successful teams, you know, will have the same. So yeah, Roy, Roy is a good safe pair of hands and brilliant to work with. 
um, knows the club, you know, supported the club since he was six, was on the terraces when he was a kid, you know. So again, it's back to that culture, caring and, and huge knowledge of managing all over Europe and having that methodology that he knows that he can fall back on that will win him three games out of 10. Yeah, you also keep producing some exceptional talent or finding talent from, from elsewhere. I mean, I'm thinking obviously Alisa and Eze in particular. Uh, it was really good for you to, to manage to to keep those players, wasn't it? And get them on longer term contracts. Yeah, that Dougie and, and, and the recruitment team and, and, you know, doing my bit working with them. I think, you know, with Mark Gee and, 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 and Michael and, you know, even but other players like Jordan Ayew, you know, who's relatively inexpensive, who's been such a massive part of, of what we do at the club and has carried forward that culture when, when other players left. So, yeah, it's, it's gone okay. We want to try and bring more through from the academy. You know, we, we're really trying to look at that and, um, you know, we've got great under-18s and good under-21 team and then just making that transition is, is, is really difficult and understanding probably more why people have bought other clubs to put you know players out trying to find the right pathways for them so there's a lot that we can improve on and we look at other clubs you know like Brighton and and, and, and Brentford and and marvel at some of the things that they do so we, we, we don't rest on our laurels but yeah we've, we, we've got some some good talent there mm. Steve just shifting it a little bit what about um, multi-club ownership now within the uh, within the Premier League in terms of other clubs and we've seen it before and it's continuing to happen yeah, well, obviously, my partners, two of my partners own different clubs. John owns Leon and, and Botafogo and, and Molenbeek. And David's got, uh, you know, six or seven different clubs that he owns. Um, I think that there's a logic to it. You know, there's a rationale to it. There's different versions of why people do it. And I think it, it can be beneficial. But I do think it's there are lots of challenges around it as well for European football when the clubs start playing together in different competitions. And also in terms of transfers and financial fair play. And, you know, if you've got, for example, you know, if you've got a club and you're up against financial fair play, but you've got another club and then you can buy players into that Tell other club. Tell us what alone. financial fair play is. Because there's so <laughs> many people, so many fans, they, they go, they don't understand it. It seems to apply to this happens at a certain club and then it doesn't seem to apply to other clubs or it's a different. Do you think it is fair? Because it's called financial fair play. Well, the problem with it is that when the rules were written, you could lose 30 million a year, roughly, for three years on a rolling basis. So there's a problem right away, right? It's a three-year retrospective test and you've got to wait for the club's account. So you're really into your fourth year before you know whether somebody's breached it. And of course, for a lot of people that are living within the rules, they think if you're spending over the amount that you can lose on football, that you're gaining an advantage and you've gained an advantage in those seasons before the, the check. So I think people are looking for something that's a bit more real time. But it's as simple as that, basically. On the football side of the business, not including building stadiums or anything else, you can lose 30 million a year for three years on a rolling test. Um, that's what the rules are that are in place. And it was just meant to protect people from being too profligate, level the playing field to make sure that, you Does know- Does it work? Um, I think it's worked to a certain extent because a, a lot of people comply to the rules. And and I think that the people that haven't probably didn't mean to not to. You know, the problem with it is, is if you can lose 105 million over three years, you can lose 105 million in the first year and then imagine that you're going to sell players <laughs> and, you know, you're going to mm. do things to mm. pull it back. So um, I don't think anybody thinks that they're fit for purpose. That's not to criticise the people that put them in. They probably worked for a while when... 
losing 30 million was unimaginable, you know, for, for a lot of clubs. But the amount of money's caught up so much that I think that they, they all need revisiting. And we'll be interested in these cases. Does it not make it that much more impossible then to challenge the elite over a sustained period of time? I mean, Gary was right with Leicester. I mean, that, that might happen once in every 50 years. It might happen a miracle. But the chances are of a, I mean, for argument's sake, like Blackburn did in my time with Jack Walker, they challenged the elite. Um, but it makes it almost impossible now to get anywhere near them, doesn't it, and stay there? Yes. So that's the argument against all of these rules. I mean, if you go right back to sustainability, which the regulator will work on, I mean, if you really want to make a club sustainable based on any shock that could befall it, you know, in a kind of banking sense, then you're talking about posting bonds or guarantees on losses. And, mm. uh, you know, most clubs could, if I get relegated, then I've got a big financial hole, you know, and if you if if you have to always be able to cure that or prove that you can cure that clearly it, it's distorting and, and it prevents people from um necessarily com competing um and to your point alan a lot of people think that there should just be a salary cap of 400 million and everybody should be able to spend up to that if they can afford it and and compete with 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 the elite and mm. all of these cost measures do in some ways pin everybody where they are you know and, and prevent you improving so yes it, and that's why when you get into these discussions and people write pieces that are so clear in one view, they're not really understanding all of the nuances and all of the moving parts and all of the things you've got to try and bring together to make something fair. Why, why do you think it is that, I mean, obviously they're involved in your football club, that there's so many investors now from America because it's not really their sport. You talk about, well, you've got we're going to lose money, lose money, lose money. Why are they so interested? In, I mean, they've, they've kind of, a lot of football clubs in the Premier League now are owned by Americans. Why do you think that is? Well, I think they tend to think that they probably could do it differently and bring some rationality to it. That, that thus far, that probably <laughs> probably hasn't been the case. I mean, look, it's a, as a, as a property. I think the Premier League turned over five point five billion last year. I don't think when we, we're, we're in it, we realise what a success this is for mm. um, for for the UK. You know, it's extraordinary, really, that we've got this league that is far and away the biggest sporting league in the world. I mean, our international rights dwarf any incredible, other league's international really rights. Incredible. You know, so um, and so there's an attraction to that because it beams all over the world, and you know, um, little old Crystal Palace in Croydon becomes this amazing, you know, uh, exciting thing with Man City there and Chelsea there and the game itself, every game is so exciting. I mean, if you go to American sport, it's great. I love it. But, you know, American football with the system they've got, the opening games, you know, are pretty good. And then you get to the middle where most people have kind of qualified for the playoffs and then you get some dead rowers and then it gets into the latter stages and it's, you know, basketball, you've got 80 odd season games. So it's, every game's exciting. They're drawn to it. They think they can make a change, you know, use data, use analytics, use all these, these tools. So I think we just rejoice in the fact that so many people do want to pour money into our game. And it's that's that part of it's been having overseas investors, I think it's been fantastic for football in terms of the infrastructure and the stadiums and that, you know, all of the things that, that, that fans enjoy. I think I think that's really important to look at that. I mean, we sit and we moan about VAR and we talk about financial fair play and we talk about second managers and, and all the negativity, but in the grand scheme of things, we have an unbelievable asset, don't we? I mean, wherever you go in the world, all anyone ever wants to talk about is the Premier League. Totally. I, think, I think that's absolutely true. I'm conscious of your time, Steve, um, and, and you've been very generous with it. Thank you very much. Let's just 
story breaking that Manchester United are supposedly interested in Dougie Friedman, who's, I think, your director of football. Sporting director. Sporting yeah. director. Um, is there any truth in that? Or you'd have to get inside the minds of those people, wouldn't you? I don't think there's, there's certainly, I don't think it's been any conversations, but it's very flattering, you know, for, for the I club. I suppose it's something you get accustomed to, isn't it? If you've got a right exceptional footballer or even an exceptional manager that someone big and powerful might try and take them away from totally. you. Totally. I mean, you know, it's like you guys live in the world, you know, 50% of the stories in the media are true, 50% of them are not. It's just, we don't know which ones, right? So <laughs> I'm not sure it's 50% of the truth. I was just going to no. say, you've done it a favour there, 50%. <laughs> yeah. 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 How important has he been for, for you though? Really important. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, look, if you're going to do this, you, you've got to do it with people you like to start with, right? It's so much pressure sometimes. Um, he's, he's a brilliant guy. He was the second manager out of the club. He was instrumental in us getting promoted. You know, again, if you want to watch the documentary on Amazon, you'll see the whole story. Um, he's been instrumental. We saved the club when, when we were about to get relegated from the championship with a last minute goal at Stockport. He's got us promoted playing for Wolves. So, you know, he's got a real affinity to the club. Works really hard. We've signed some really good players. And most importantly, the transfer window, which is probably the hardest part of the job. It's fun you know being involved with it and, and, and doing it with him is it is it fun the transfer <laughs> you know it, you, you obviously have moments of enjoyment right you know gallows humor and you know it's it's very very difficult to or landing a player it must be a bit of a buzz yeah i mean look the michael elisi thing in the summer you know was 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 obviously a a, a situation you know where we came out of the side of it that, that that we wanted to and and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with that you know and it's very important that you've got a a way of working together. We've got Ian Moody as well, who, who works very closely with us on it, where, because you can't do everything right. You know, you, you ever, you're going to do things wrong. You're going to make the wrong moves. You're trying to second guess so many things. You've got so little information often. Um, and if you're not going to have a laugh every now and again about the ridiculousness of it all, you know, so <laughs> it, it's brilliant to work with. The fact that he's being linked with, with clubs like that shows that we're doing the right thing. So I just want to finish with one little thing. Do you wish you'd change the name of the club to Richmond FC? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Don't say that to the fans. I wish. I wish you're very I, much Crystal Palace yeah, in that well, series I wish of Ted Lasso for those of you who perhaps not seen yeah. it. I wish they'd called the you know the team Crystal Palace, right? Yeah. They based yeah. it on us, and uh, the exposure would have been incredible. We do get people obviously <laughs> visiting the stadium, you know, and, and, and they come, but they do quite a lot of CGI. So we've tried. We put LEDs up to try and make it look similar. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's a shame they didn't call it Crystal Palace. I mean, because obviously they use all the other names of the other teams, don't they? West Ham. So we've it? completely lost out. Yeah. They're totally <laughs> lost out. So we don't get mentioned. <laughs> You'd be the biggest team in, in, in possibly in the world. In the first episode, I think they play us, don't they? Yeah. That's the, in the first mm. game, in the first episode, they, they play us. Yeah, it's been brilliant. And, and Jason yeah. and Hannah and, and the cast, you know, were amazing when they filmed it there. They came to a game which was, which was brilliant and it's been an amazing success. I, I said to Jason, I remember when they sent me the... Jason Sudeikis. Yes, uh, when they sent me the idea and could we base it on you loosely and, and, and the stadium. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, sure you can, but I don't think it's going to work with shows. <laughs> <laughs> don't, <laughs> so don't, don't ever have me as a showrunner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, on that note, um, Steve, thank you very much for your time. Um, Pleasure. It's really been, good to it's see been you. fascinating. Excellent. Thanks, yeah. Alan. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank yeah. you. Pleasure. Cheers. Goodbye, all. <laughs>